for me, the beauty of the business nurse's role is that no two days are the same and not even any two hours of the day are the same because there's so many different types of activities that you might be performing as a BA. You might be facilitating a workshop, you might have your head sort of stuck in a spreadsheet, uh, working with other project staff like project managers and so on. It's just so varied. In this episode, we introduce you to the remarkable Claire Cayley, our dynamic business analyst, who's more than just a title, she's a catalyst for transformative results. Her skill set is nothing short of a tech-savvy superhero's toolkit, guiding businesses through IT-enabled transformations. Her immense experience has seen her become fluent in the intricate languages of software development, adept at implementation and masterful at delivering successful business outcomes. Yet what truly distinguishes Claire's role is more to do with personality than skill. We'll find out exactly what that is as we now chat to business analyst Claire Cayley, who tells us what it takes to do the job. Welcome, Claire Cayley, to the podcast, Do the Job. Thank you very much for that kind introduction and inviting me on the podcast. I'm just really delighted to talk about business analysis because I think it's a career that can be so highly rewarding for people, and yet it's very rarely spoken about. So when you tell people you're a business analyst, you're sort of often met with a bit of a blank face. People haven't heard of it, don't know what it is. So yeah, it's nice to have the opportunity to talk about it. Before we crack on, I do need to I do need to explain to our listeners that there is uh, something I need to confess today that we are actually <laughs> talking to my sister. Claire Cayley is actually my sister, and I did deliberate quite long and hard about whether to go ahead with the interview or not because, as a journalist, you don't usually interview family members for the obvious reasons there are integrity and impartiality. Uh, issues with interviewing family members but I thought particularly for this issue uh, or this podcast of finding out about a job I came to the conclusion it'd be okay as long as I tell you listeners that it it is the case that we're talking to my sister I don't know what you feel about that Claire. Yeah absolutely and the thing is we never really talk about work do we so it's a completely new topic and a kind of neutral topic for us to be talking about so um, yeah I think you're absolutely fine. We, we, we often talk about everything other than work, don't we? Right. <laughs> that's it, yeah. So, um, so anyway, that's that. So we'll crack on. Um, first of all, Claire, I mean, I know a little bit about it, but tell us, how did you get into business analysis? So I will tell you my journey into business analysis, but I have to preface it by saying that there is no one route into business analysis because I meet business analysts that have come from all different educational and career paths. So I work with people that have previously been architects or call center operatives or software developers and so on. And I think the reason for that is that many of the skills that business analysts use are highly transferable from other professions and industries. So analytical skills, written and verbal communication, um, working with data, problem solving these are all skills that you can develop in any number of educational or career paths so they can also equip you for business analysis so um my personal journey into it 
was that I graduated in modern languages, French and German, um, which you would think is completely unrelated. But as I said, communication skills is one of those key business analysis skill sets. Um, and I got a job in client support for an investment banking software company. So I basically at that stage just answered the phone to their European customers and helped them with using the software. Um, so those those customers would have been sort of a syndicate and IT staff at investment banks. Um, I didn't have a background in software or technology, particularly. I was just employed because of my language skills and the ability to communicate with the customers. But during my, I mean, I was there 11 years and during my time at that company, I really did learn about software. I learned about how it was developed and I learned about the business, the investment banking business. Um, and I would often do on-site support at customer sites while, while they were running um, IPOs, initial public offerings. So I'd get to see firsthand how they were using the systems, what problems they were facing. I'd get to hear if they were frustrated with something, I'd hear it. So I'd be able to take that information back and say, look, they need the system to do this, or, you know, we should tweak it so it does that. And without really knowing it, I was starting to build that business analysis skill set of, business has a problem, how do we solve it? And um, it wasn't, I, I did the client relationship management for a, a few years. Um, and then it wasn't until my late 20s when I started to have my family and my children where that sort of um, the intensity of customer relationship management, which is all hours and you have to travel and you're sometimes there all night, just wasn't sustainable anymore with young children. So that's when I took that sidestep into what I'd say was business analysis proper, where I was officially taking client requirements, documenting them properly, coming up with solutions, designing software solutions, and then working with development teams to have them um, built basically. So that it was a kind of a side move, but one that really suited both my skill set and my kind of uh, time of life, I guess, because business analysis is more of a nine to five office-based job. And I'd say since COVID, even a home-based role, well, I've been at home for the last few years doing it. So a lot more flexibility than there used to be. If you could just drill it down even further and give yeah. us a little insight into what your day-to-day -day tasks are. When you wake up in the morning and you look at your screen, I mean, how long do these problems take to solve? <laughs> well, projects um, can be anything from a few weeks to a few months to a few years. It, it sort of depends on the scale of what you're doing. But uh, for me, the beauty of the business analysis role is that no two days are the same and not even any two hours of the day are the same because there's so many different types of activities that you might be performing as a BA. So you might be facilitating a workshop to try and elicit business requirements. You might have your head sort of stuck in a spreadsheet doing some data analysis. You might be drawing up a process flow. You might be communicating business requirements to development teams or working with third parties or creating options papers for Excos to make decisions from uh, working with other project staff like project managers and so on. It's just so varied. Um, but yeah, so one of the key responsibilities, I say, as I say, is managing requirements, which means gathering and eliciting requirements, documenting requirements, analyzing them, make sure they're prioritized because the business needs to know it's delivering the highest value things first, getting them solutioned and ultimately ensuring that the change that's delivered is actually going to meet the business's objectives. 
So uh, as a business analyst, do you predominantly work solo or is this a team effort? Yeah, it's a very social role. So you don't have to be an extrovert to be a BA. Like, and a lot of us are quite introverted because there is that quiet side to it. But you do need, to, it's a very communicative role. You need to like people and you need to like being with people and talking to people because you're just interacting with so many different people all day long. So you've you've probably got your project team, which will have a, which will consist of your business stakeholders, your project manager, you might be dealing with solution architects, <clears throat> engineering teams, you might be dealing with third parties, as I said, you might be needing to interact with vendors or regulators. And in many organisations, there is an actual, what they call a practice of BAs. It must be the collective noun for BAs. Um, yeah, so there's a practice of BAs where you have got a team and you might all be working on different projects, but you come together in team meetings or what we call communities of practice, where we share knowledge and experience with each other. Um, so a very, very sociable role. I did get a little caught up when you said spreadsheets and analysis. <laughs> um, I, I would love to like maths. Um, I would love to, uh, but I, I would admit I do find it quite a scary topic. How maths skewed is a business analyst job? So there's a couple of areas really. I don't. I don't think that you know, amazing amounts of math skills is a prerequisite to being a business analyst. You need to be numerate and you need to, so the two areas that it comes into play most, I guess, might be around data analysis, where you might be looking at data sets and just trying to understand them and extract meaning from those data sets. Um, and the other area is around cost benefit analysis. So before a business will embark on a massive change, they will need to understand what is this change going to cost us? And what's the return going to be? And how soon are we going to see that return? So they can actually calculate, you know, is this change going to make sense or isn't it? And a BA will often be involved in that cost-benefit analysis. So you need to have some numeracy to, to undertake those sort of tasks, but it's not a massive part of the role. Okay. Could you share an example of, of a particularly challenging or rewarding project that you worked on as a business analyst? But one of the ones that sticks in my mind um, was back again at Geologic, so in the investment banking days. And there were two reasons why this particular project kind of sticks out to me. There was two sort of groundbreaking elements to it. The first was, this, so this was back in the early 2000s, and there was a new concept around the way change is delivered, especially around software delivery. Um, called agile now nowadays everything is agile and all organizations are trying to do things in an agile manner but back then it was quite a new thing and it, what it basically meant was that instead of creating reams of documentation and designing and planning everything to the x degree up front and then having this massive build period and then rolling it out and just seeing what happens you actually take a much more iterative approach you mock stuff up you prototype you go test it with users you get the feedback you iterate you, you improve it and what you see there is sort of value being created much earlier on in that software delivery life cycle and as a BA 
that was a massive change for me because I was used to my 20, 30 page specs with the beautiful screen designs and <clears throat> all of the detail up front. And <clears throat> suddenly I was not required to do that anymore. And it was quite a shaking moment. It was like, oh, okay, what are we doing? It was a completely different way of working. But we soon got to grips with it. We had agile coaches in. We learned to write user stories, which is the short way of writing requirements, really, in an agile project. Um, and so that so that was one sort of big sea change, I guess, in, in the way that we were working. The and second bit that was... The, the 30 page report that you used to do is yeah. that now a thing of the past is everyone doing this new innovative well it's, no that they have it hasn't gone away so the two main project methodologies are called waterfall and agile so waterfall is as i described sort of documentation heavy everything happens in a set um order and these projects tend to be long and then the value is not realized until right at the very end. And the, the issue with that, some projects that suits, I mean, regulatory projects sometimes need to be done that way. But the trouble with that is that often the project has taken so long, but at the time you deliver, deliver it, the requirements have actually changed and that thing is not actually needed anymore. And, and also, if you find problems uh, right at the the end of that project it's very expensive to go right back to the beginning and start fixing them so agile brings a lot of benefits in in being just a way more flexible more quick if you make a mistake great you can just fix it next week you know it's 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 much more flexible like that but a lot of organizations really struggle to implement it properly because they're just a bit weighed down in bureaucracy. Sometimes it's to do with the way things are funded. You know, if everything is funded through a business case, it, and so you have to have the requirements defined up front, it's quite difficult to get a very agile model going. So I, I, I see banks struggling with it a lot. I think it's easier for software companies because just by their very nature, they can do things a bit more dynamically. They're not so burdened down with that. So. Um, so at DealLogic, that, that transition happened quite seamlessly. Um, so we did get into that very fast way of working. Um, yeah, so, and, and the second bit was the new focus on user experience and user design, because like we forget now, like when we're using apps and stuff now, everything is such a joy to use, the interfaces are so nice. Back then, that was not the case. Like software looked pretty grim most things looked like an excel spreadsheet in some way shape or form it, it was never about user experience it was always like we're giving you the software and you the user have to learn how to use it whether that's by a training course or a manual but it's up to you and then the kind of apple really i think were the groundbreakers of, of usability because they came along with software and technology and stuff that was just so easy. You don't even need an instruction manual with it. You just click and you can see what to do. And back then, of course, it was the time of the iPod. And the iPod came along. Everything was just controlled by a wheel on the front with nothing else. Just the most simple interface possible. And actually, um, when we were doing this project, which was to redesign a sales trader order entry system, we really got into their environment to understand what are their challenges why do they find it difficult to use their current software and actually when we went in there it was not hard 
to see why. I mean, you know yourself because you have a trading background, but you know, trading floors are chaotic. They are noisy. They're, each trader's got like seven screens and lights flashing and graphs and announcements going off and people shouting. That was hardly any wonder that mistakes were being made, you know, placing orders and so on. So it was the first time we really focused on usability and the, the software we designed at that point in time, it really played on that Apple iPod kind of thing. We created a graphic that was a, like a wheel really on their screen. So the only place they ever had to click was on that wheel and whatever they needed to do, they could do it from there. So that was really exciting too. And I think that had a really great um, sort of reception. Like when we rolled it out, people were really happy with it. As a financial business analyst, um, what are the primary challenges you encounter when you're balancing conflicting objectives from different departments in organisations? I mean, you've said you like to try and bring them all together and, and produce a cohesive plan. But what if one department wants something and the other <laughs> department wants to spend some more money on something else? Is that your job to resolve that? It absolutely is. Yeah, absolutely is. So... Being a BA, it does require a certain amount of emotional intelligence and the associated soft skills that go with that, like managing conflicts and influencing and negotiating. Um, so in these situations, it really helps just to be able to leave your ego to one side and focus in on the other people and try and understand the different perspectives. And there are actually tools that we use to understand perspectives as well. Um, but really understand people's underlying motives that maybe their fears you know often people can be resistant to change because they have a personal fear around it. it's going to affect them in some way and the other challenge that VAs have is that people often don't tell you the problem they tell you what they think the solution is so they'll say I need x y and z by December the 1st and as a PA it's your job to sort of really dig into that and this is kind of a joke that behaves a bit like four-year-olds because we're just always like, why, 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 you know, why do you? So you do have to, you do have to ask why. Like, so it's like, yeah. So, so what, what are the benefits to you of having this? You know, what's driving the need to have it by December the first? What happens if we deliver it next year? You know, it's it's these soft questioning to really get to, because it might be that actually X Y Z is not the right solution for their problem. It might be that A B C is, and as a BA, you have to help them get to that by really understanding just what are the core needs what we do as BAs is we get people in a room so if there are people in different departments with conflicting requirements we have all of the requirements perhaps documented or and people like visuals so we often use diagrams as well to, to present things back to groups of people and we'll we'll go through a kind of um, validation process uh, to, to, to make sure that what's being asked for is actually the, the right thing. But we'll also go through a prioritization process. So, all right, you want all of these things. If you could only pick three of them, what, what would they be? To really try and hone in on, on, the, on the most important stuff first, because you might have a, a stakeholder that's being very vocal about this tiny thing over here that's gonna personally benefit them but it's, it's not actually going to bring the overall value uh, to the project. So, and as a BA, you have to really get to the bottom of that. What would you say is the most important skill or trait that you need to have if you want to become a BA? So my top three would be, you need to be curious. 
So you need to actually be interested in investigating and asking questions. That's fundamental, just that basic curiosity. Um, the second one is you need to like people. Like, as I said, it's, it's, it's a sociable role and you need a certain amount of sociable adeptness um, in the way that you're dealing with people and that empathy with other people. Um, and I suppose good communication skills comes along with liking people. Um, and I would say the third one that people might not think of is being creative because you're potentially coming up with creative solutions to problems. You might be being creative with your approach to your work because as BAs, we have tool toolkits that really we fall back. And there's hundreds of different ways that you can approach things using different tools and techniques. And you need to be creative about, right, for this particular problem, how am I going to approach this? What am I going to use? Um, so there's that. And there's also creativity in terms of how you're going to interact with other people. So if you're doing a workshop, how can I make this interesting? How can I make it engaging? How am I going to get the information that I need from people? So having that sort of creative mindset, I think, really helps. Um, we are going to go to the quickfire round. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> This is your quick fire round, Claire. Your biggest career regret, please. Okay, right, I can honestly say that I don't have career regrets because I'm so happy about the way my career has evolved. The only thing I would say, and it surprised me as I've got more senior, is how much I enjoy people management. And as a senior BA, you often then get people management responsibilities, um, either line management or you might be leading other BAs on a team. And um, I've just enjoyed that so much over the last years. And I think if I'd known that that would have been one of my strengths and how much I would have enjoyed that, I might maybe would have like pursued that line management responsibility, people management a bit earlier in my career. Excellent. And your career standout moment? Without a doubt, it's the success of our associate BA programme where I work currently. So we recruited people that had little to no BA experience into our team, gave them training, coaching, mentoring, all on the job experience. And now to have seen those people become fully fledged BAs who are now smashing it, you know, doing really well, really advancing with their careers, like that has to be hands down the most satisfying thing that I've done in my career. Um, we'll come back to that because that's really interesting and mm. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will want to know more about those opportunities so we'll come back to that after this quick fire round your top tip to break into your industry right so this one is a little bit difficult because I, as I said there are many many paths into it um but my so my tip really is a little bit more of a generalized one to anyone starting any career I would say just follow the breadcrumb trail of what interests you if you just follow what you're interested in and take the opportunities that then present themselves to you you will get where you were meant to go that is my firm belief <laughs> I like that I like that a lot um instead of asking what you earn because you know, <laughs> about what they earn let's frame it in terms of your ride to work does your job afford you a bike taxi Toyota or Ferrari <laughs> <laughs> It's such a good question. 
I, th I think most BAs would be on the Toyota level at some, <laughs> some level. Um, it's, it depends. So, I mean, if people are interested, I can probably give you salary bandings approximately for the different levels of BAs. Yes, is that something please. you want me to share? Yes. Um, and obviously the, the caveat to this is it depends very much on what industry you're in um, because finance tends to pay higher than other industries. Um, but also where you are location-wise, obviously London's going to pay higher. But if I give you some very broad bandings, a junior BA might be looking at between 20 and 40K. A BA might be between 40 and 60. A senior BA between 60 and 80. A BA practice manager, 80 to 100 plus. So there you sort of, it's, it's a fairly rewarding, financially rewarding career for people. And I guess you've got the bonuses on top of that. And we are talking uh, Great British Pounds here. Sorry, yes, we're <laughs> talking pounds. And bonuses, again, will depend on industry. So in finance, you tend to get bonuses. That obviously won't be the case for all industries. And last of your quickfire round is in terms of societal impact. Have you <laughs> A, changed people's mind? B, change the narrative, or C, change the world? <laughs> I'm going to be really humble here and just say maybe change people's minds sometimes. <laughs> uh, because, you know, that's not to downplay the importance of business analysis, I think, because depending on the organisation you are working for, you might be doing very groundbreaking or world-changing things. It just depends, I think, more on the organisation than the role itself. But as a BA, you probably need to be able to change people's minds. <laughs> now for our last section, the future of your industry. How do you envisage your role of business analysis evolving in the next decade? And I'm particularly pointing towards the changing technological advancements that we're seeing actually within finance that we're seeing quite a revolution going on there so I was just wondering if you mm. had any insights or opinions about where your industry might go in the next 10 years yeah so I think really it's interesting because I think the role of a business analysis has emerged over the last 30 years say out of technological development the fact that organizations are needing to rely on increasingly complex systems data and technology and the technology now as you say is developing exponentially so i can only see the need for business analysts growing uh, you know to deal with those levels of complexity and in my view um, business analysis is as much an art as it is a science so as we focused on quite a lot in this interview it's always going to require those sort of human creative and interpersonal skills that just can't be replaced by technology saying that though I think there are technologies that might be able to take some of the more, more mundane tasks away from business analysis you know like I'm thinking here about artificial intelligence because you know I know Microsoft are coming out soon with a kind of office assistant type AI that can do things for you so you know um, I'm thinking about I don't know, crunching through data. I'm sure AI will be able to do a lot of that. Um, creating documentation, you'll probably be able to say to your AI assistant, oh, just make me a presentation about X, Y, and Z. At ChatGPT, I've seen that used for business analysis tasks before with some degree of success. 
so I'm seeing I'm seeing those sort of technological advancements as uh, hopefully a helper to to a BA rather than a replacement for. <laughs> yeah, because I think with with everything you've mentioned there, you, you still need to be able to review that presentation that your AI assistant did for you and know that it's right or wrong. So yes. I, yeah, I, think, absolutely. And I think we're seeing that in a lot of industries, although AI can take over some mundane tasks, you still need to have an oversight at the moment anyway. Yeah, you do. And in my mind, business is primarily just around people. Like people like doing business with people they like. Businesses like doing business with other businesses that have got similar cultures to themselves. Do you know what I mean? It's, like we think everything is very fact-based and data-driven and yes more so now than ever decisions are very data-driven and that's probably the right way to go but um there's always going to be that human element to business yeah last question tips and tricks your last yeah. advice for tips and tricks to shortcut into your industry or make a sideway into your industry for people who want to change careers or people at the beginning of their careers you want to get into it into yeah absolutely i hope i can give people some good advice here and lots of ways to get into business analysis because as you can tell i am passionate about it and i think we do need more business analysts coming into the profession so um in terms of education i will say as far as i'm aware there's not such a thing as a business analysis degree so your nearest degrees that you can get are business management business analytics on the business side those degrees will equip you with a similar skill set um alternatively if you're more technically minded and actually we haven't gone into a lot of the different flavors of business analysis that's maybe a whole other conversation but there, there are more sort of technical types of bas um if you if you do something like information systems it management data science or computer science any of those kind of educational pathways will set you up well for a career in business analysis um, in terms of experience, I would, as I've talked about sort of following things that interest you, I would say get knowledge of an industry that you're interested in at any level, even at a junior level. So, you know, if you like, if you like shopping and stores, try and get into a retail industry. If you like travel, try and get into travel and understand what sort of challenges and opportunities are arising in that industry. Because in that way, even if you're working in a very junior job in that industry, you are starting to build your domain knowledge about that industry. And as we've, we've talked about, our domain knowledge is sort of, you know, uh, key for a business analyst. And then I think we've touched on as well the professional qualifications. So th there are lots of online courses about business analysis out there. And I'm not saying don't do them. They, they probably give you some good founding. Um, but the ones that are going to be recognised by employers are your BCS, Diploma in Business Analysis, and your... IIBA certification in business analysis. One, either of those is absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, as you said, if you can get um, if you can get a company to sponsor you to do them, all the better. And if you can get an apprenticeship, all the better. Yeah. I'm nicely surprised actually with view that you've given about business analysis. It's creative. Yeah. I would never have put creativity with business analysis, but as you've explained it, it's so clear now that you do have to be very creative and relationship focused. So thank you so much for that insight today. 
you're really welcome. I've really enjoyed talking about it. Yeah, it's really good. And hopefully, you know, it's maybe sparked some interest in somebody um, that they might think, it, you know, it's something for them. Thank you.